Welcome to Planttopia. I'm your host, David Godori, and I'm a plant pathologist at Cornell University. Any listeners who have never met a real live plant pathologist can be forgiven. We are a very low visibility, but very high impact profession. We protect the world's food supply from disease-causing fungi, bacteria, viruses, and nematodes, all of which want to eat your lunch. This time on Planttopia. Human beings have only been using antibiotics for a very short period of time, less than a century really. And um, we have a continuing problem of antibiotic resistance um, so that we have to constantly be discovering new antibiotics because our old antibiotics no longer work on uh, their targets. Um, Why isn't that happening with the ants? They've apparently been using these antibiotics to control disease organisms for, you know, it could be as many as 50 or 55 million years. In this episode, we'll take a break from crisis mode and spend time immersed in a pastoral scene of unparalleled beauty. This is a story about small-scale farmers, and I do mean small. Ants have perfected agriculture as well. They've gotten really good at it, and you could argue that... um, They're better at it than us. I'd like to think that the more we understand, that that fungus farming ants give us a model system that's very different from humans, and yet in many ways uncannily similar. Um, So whatever commonalities we can find across the two systems might just give us some clues for ways that we can improve not only uh, human agriculture, but maybe human medicine. Yes, that's right. We're talking about ants. They've been farming for a lot longer than we have, and they're really good at it. They have a story to tell, and we found just the right person to speak on their behalf. My name is Ted Schultz, and I'm with the National Museum of Natural History in the Smithsonian Institution. My grandfather was a farmer. He was born in the 1890s, before tractors. Now, a person from a thousand years earlier could have walked onto his farm and with minimal instruction, they could have used every bit of technology as limited as it was that was available to my grandfather. And now that technology has exploded and we think of ourselves as as the most experienced in this field, but insects have been farming for a lot longer than we have. And we don't even know anything about that. Yes, that's true. And the time scale differences are um, fantastically huge. Um, the, the organisms I spend most of my time studying are fungus farming ants, and they've been around for somewhere between 55 and 65 million years. So they're all descended from an ancestral ant that lived, you know, 60 million years ago that uh descended from a hunter gatherer and then discovered how to grow fungus gardens and how to produce all of its food uh through agriculture so they have a bit of a head start on us yeah quite a bit (laughs) (laughs) the answer farmers uh what do they grow they grow fungi so not all ants are farmers there are um 15,000 described species of ants and a whole lot more that have never yet, that haven't yet been discovered and given names. Um, 
And a, a very small subset of those are farmers, but um, the ants that I study, there's 245 species of them, and uh, they grow fungi. They all grow f- fungus gardens. Most of them live underground, so they, um, they have chambers underground, and in those chambers um, are fungus gardens. They're, they're these sort of... Um, white cottony masses when you first see one it looks like a big ball of maybe cotton um, maybe looks a little bit like a sponge and the ants um, have very elaborate behaviors as you might expect um, in order to be fungus farmers they have to go out every day and find bits of organic debris that haven't already been invaded by other microbes and bring that organic material back in and um, and plant their fungus on that on that organic material um, they have to patrol their gardens and weed out other microbes you know they have uh, um, weeds and crop diseases just like we do um, and this is all you know as i said most ants don't do this so this particular group of ants has evolved this very elaborate set of behaviors specifically associated with being farmers ted i imagine like most of us you have to justify your existence to funding agencies and to your supervisors so tell me what's the practical impact of ants as farmers yeah that's a that that's a very good question because my research is pretty much entirely curiosity driven. I spend most of my time uh, traveling in South America trying to collect as many fungus farming ants and and their fungi as I can and sequence their DNAs and try to figure out um, the evolutionary history of the ants. The, the fungi that they grow and the the symbiotic system, um, but I do like to think that this basic knowledge, like a lot of basic knowledge, could be actually be very useful for humans. Like um, the ants um, cultivate bacteria on their bodies that produce antibiotics. They've apparently been using these antibiotics to control disease organisms for, you know, it could be as many as 50 or 55 million years since this uh, um, fungus farming first began. Um, Human beings have only been using antibiotics for a very short period of time, less than a century really. And um, we have a continuing problem of antibiotic resistance um, so that we have to constantly be discovering new antibiotics because our old antibiotics no longer work on uh, their targets. Um, Why isn't that happening with the ants? I mean, maybe it is. Fortunately, there are some people now studying this question to to find out how ants have been effectively using, you know, the same kind of group of antibiotics um, successfully for 55 million years. And uh, the worlds of medicine and agriculture kind of blur in this ant uh, fungus farming ant system. I mean, you could also apply that same reasoning to pesticides and you could ask the same questions like, um, how can we be more efficient at, you know, um, growing monocultures of things, because the ants are mainly growing monocultures, um, without sort of um, constantly having to come up with new new pesticides. So, uh, I also work 
with, to some degree with um, anthropologists and archaeologists on uh, comparing in fungus farming ants to uh, the, the evolution of agriculture in in ants to the evolution of agriculture in humans, trying to look for kind of broad patterns. Because if you think about it, uh, human agriculture is really uh, a symbiosis, um, just as uh, fungus farming ant agriculture is. So I'd like to think that the more we understand that, that, that fungus farming ants give us a model system that's very different from humans, and yet in many ways, uncannily similar. Um, so, whatever commonalities we can find across the two systems might just give us some clues for ways that we can improve not only uh, human agriculture, but maybe human medicine. Well, Ted Schultz, I thought I had one of the most interesting jobs in the world, but I can see <laughs> that yours is pretty close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So how do ants as farmers handle competition uh, from pathogens, from other insects, and, and from weeds? Yeah, that's a that's a very good question. And um, I, you know, when I first got into this stuff, um, we knew nothing. We knew that that it appeared that the ants, when they, I should say that that the most famous of these ants are leafcutter ants, and, and, and most people have heard of leafcutter ants. If they've ever traveled in South America, Central America, they've seen leafcutter ants. If they've ever watched uh, nature documentaries, they've probably seen them. Um, and the, and leafcutter ants, as well as their sort of more um, inconspicuous, primitive uh, fungus farming cousins, they all process the material they bring into the nest to some degree so they're they it's been known for some time that they lick it and they seem to be applying um saliv salivary secretions or something to the material so they're probably they're definitely preparing the material maybe uh suppressing some microorganisms when they first introduce the material to the garden they're also giving their fungus a a, a really good uh, starting chance on that material by planting, going and finding um, healthy, growing fungal mycelium from the healthiest parts of the garden, picking that, bringing it back, planting it on that newly added organic substrate, um, and and then constantly patrolling and weeding. So they're they're mechanically weeding out uh, unwanted. Well, they're detecting unwanted microbes, so they have the ability through. Uh, you know, um, smell and taste to detect things that that are not the the garden fungus that should be there, and to mechanically weed those out with their mandibles. Ants are actually pretty dexterous um, with their mandibles, and to and to throw that stuff out. But something we've learned since I started doing this stuff that's pretty wonderful is that most of these fungus farming ants have bacteria growing on their bodies and these bacteria are often housed in specialized crypts in their integuments on their on their bodies and those crypts are fed with glands 
that apparently are nourishing these bacteria. And these bacteria are in um, the actinomycetes, that, that this is a group of uh, filamentous bacteria uh, that also includes streptomyces, that, um, which, so it's a group from which humans get a whole lot of antibiotics. And the ants are also using these bacteria for antibiotics, and they're applying those antibiotics to their gardens and controlling the growth of microbes using those antibiotics. And um, they're there, the more we look at these gardens, the more complicated things get. Um, so the main part of the garden is definitely the resident single fungal species that the ants are growing. But there's also a bunch of other microbes in there. And there's another fungus that regularly occurs in there. There's multiple species of this fungus. It's only known from the gardens of fungus farming ants. And it is a weed of the system. It competes with the ants to eat the fungus, just like our weeds compete with us to eat our crop plants. And the ants are using these antibiotics to control that weed organism. And it looks like over this uh, 50 million years or so of evolution between the ants and the fungi that they cultivate, this weed has also been involved. It's called Escovopsis. It's an ascomycete fungus. It's apparently been involved since very early times. So it's sort of diversified along with the ants and the fungi. And now there's many species of Escovopsis. And they appear to be kind of, uh, given Escovopsis species seems to be specialized on a, on a given um, cult fungal cultivar species, or at least a, a small group of fungal cultivars. Plantopia is brought to you by the American Phytopathological Society, or APS, to honor the United Nations celebration of 2020 as the International Year of Plant Health. Healthy plants can help us solve world hunger, stabilize the world's climate, protect our forests, and add beauty to our lives. Now, back to the show. So the ants can not only farm, but they can apply crop protection chemicals, and it would appear that they can don some kind of protective gear by carrying these things about <laughs> on their body. Yeah, they're they're quite good at this. They've had a lot of time to perfect this, and you know, um, I I I, um, I actually work with. Um, uh, people who specialize in human agriculture and the and the evolution of human agriculture, and so I think a fair amount about comparisons. And humans um, uh, have the advantage of having cultural transmission. So, um, as a generation learns, say, uh, how to perfect uh, or to get better at farming it can pass that knowledge along to the next generation. And so we can very rapidly, you know, in the course of, say, uh, five to 10,000 years, we've, we've uh, taken what was at one point um, fairly primitive agriculture, and we have the agriculture that we have today. And that's because we can plan, we can experiment, and we can pass what we learn along to the next generation through cultural transmission. Ants learn as well. Ants have perfected agriculture as well. They've gotten really good at it, and you could argue that um, they're better at it than us, but what the way that they 
learn is much slower because it's evolutionary learning, it's genetic learning, it's um, it's through the trial and error of natural selection. So, um, in any given generation, you know, if uh, um, ants uh, inherit some behavior that makes them do agriculture a little bit differently, and if that turns out to be advantageous, eventually that gene's going to spread, and over um, evolutionary time periods, they're going to get better and better and better, and that's what's happened. Um, we, but, but it just takes longer. So what could take took humans ten thousand years, um, it took ants uh, fifty five million years. Is there an intersection of ant farmers and human farming? Are there examples of mutual benefits between the the two systems? Well, um, yes, but before I. Um, talk about that. I will first talk about the the um, the detriments because um, if you want to talk about leaf cutter ants, which are the most famous and well known of fungus farming ants, um, they're they're actually uh, the major pests of human agriculture in the New World tropics. So, for most human farmers in the New World tropics. Um, Fungus farming ants are like their enemies, which I think is really unfortunate because only a few fungus farming ant species, even just a few leaf cutting ant species, are really harmful to human crops. Um, and an interesting thing about that is that um, the local native plants in the New World tropics have actually co-evolved along with leaf-cutting ants so that they are much less hard hit by leaf-cutting ants than most of the exotic crops that human farmers are trying to grow. So, so they, you know, they've, uh, local native plants have evolved ways of um, expressing toxins only when they sense that they're being cut by leaf-cutter ants. And they also have a fair number of uh, mechanical um, things that interfere with leaf-cutter ant cutting. So, in fact, leaf-cutter leaf, leaf ants, for the most part, will not forage on a given native plant, you know, especially if it's a large plant like a tree or something, uh, long enough to kill it because at some point the tree is going to repel them and they're going to uh, move on to some other things. So they're really kind of more like husbanding the vegetation in the vicinity of the nest rather than um, decimating it. But they don't treat non-native vegetation, you know, orange groves and things like that have not evolved defenses like that. And so they are very vulnerable to leafcutter ant um, foraging. But that's the way in which uh, fungus farming ants are actually opposed to human agriculture. I think um, if you were to look across the landscape at all the species of fungus farming ants, you would find that that most of them are neutral. They're, they're, they're possibly not benefiting human agriculture, but they're certainly not harming it. The, most of these ants have very small nests. They might have a colony size of 50 worker ants when, they're, when it's a mature colony. Um, in some cases, hundreds or a few thousands, but not like leaf cutters with millions of workers in a nest. And many of these ants are, are, are very beneficial. To, um, they're, they're, they're going out there, they're foraging for um, organic substrates 
um, insect frass, um, so insect poop is a is a big one for them. Um, also, f- little tiny flower parts that rain down from the canopy, stuff like that, and. Um, and they're carrying all that back into their nest, taking it deep underground, um, growing fungi, fungi on that organic substrate. They're 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 major turners of the soil, and they're major um, fertilizer. They're taking uh, uh, nitrogen down into nitrogen poor soils, and um, and much of it stays down there. So um, that's a way in which they they intersect. So it's a bit like uh, microorganisms. There are there are more good ones than bad ones, but the bad ones get all the publicity. Yeah, yeah, that's the truth, and I mean, that's the truth um, for insects in general. I mean, the vast majority of the millions of species of insects are are uh, beneficial to humans. I mean, <laughs> if you removed all the insects, we'd probably all be dead. Um, and and that and in in my microcosm, the world of ants. It's, it's, again, true. Um, uh, I don't know, you know, maybe a lot of people, when they think of ants, they think of fire ants or something. And if you're in South America, they think of leafcutter ants. But um, those are just the, the small minority. And the, the great majority are, you know, critical key components of uh, ecosystems. So you've mentioned ants that can farm fungi. Uh, can you tell us anything about ants that can actually run a dairy? Yes, the, this um, this is another example of what I would say is um, very striking parallels between humans and ants. And I would go so far to, as to say, um, fungus farming ants and um, the tending of honeydew producing. Uh, Homopterans in in another other groups of ants are are actually examples of convergent agriculture. Um, ants, um, there are many species of ants that uh, tend above ground, mostly aphids, but a few other um, uh, plant sucking insects. Um, these plant sucking insects are feeding on on plant sap. They're, um, they're, they, in order to get, plant sap is very, very nutrient poor. In order to get and filter through enough of it to get the nutrients, they have to um, secrete tons of it. They're basically like, uh, you know, sucking uh, juice from the plant in, in one end and pumping it out the other. And that, um, the part, that they're pumping out is is uh, colloquially colloquially known as honeydew, and a lot of ants harvest that honeydew, and sometimes the honeydew is modified um, somewhat to um, to be attractive to ants. Um, it's it's rich in in carbohydrate, and the ants protect their homopteran herds, so they protect them from um, predators and parasites that would otherwise prey on them because they're very stationary. They're just stuck on the surface of a plant with their long um, beak-like proboscis buried deep in the plant, sucking up the plant sap. They can't really run away or move very easily, um, but they're t- they're, they have evolved to make something that ants like so that ants will stick around 
and protect them. And the, uh, in many cases, um, the uh, honeydew producing insects need the ants more than the ants need them. So there's many species of ants that, you know, they will feed on honeydew, but if, they, if it, there's none around, they're able to get food elsewhere. Um, but some ants have evolved to be um, obligate, um, you, obligate cattle raisers. They, and these are pretty remarkable. For instance, um, there's these underground ants um, in a genus called Acropyga that, um, that cultivate what's essentially a subterranean homopteran that feeds on roots and gets the plant sap out of the roots. And these and when, when these ants um, send out daughter queens to mate and found new colonies, each of those daughter queens carries in her mandibles uh, one of those little homopterans. Um, and that is going to be sort of the clonal beginning starter parent of her herd, her underground herd. <laughs> and there's, um, there's these uh, ants in uh, Southeast Asia that tend these big giant herds of, of another kind of homopteran, and they move them around. When the plant gets depleted, they move them all to a new plant. And they bring them in um, every night into into the shelters that they provide to protect them at night. <laughs> so um, very, very an uncannily analogous to humans and our cattle herds. In, in so many ways, the uh, the aphid uh, the the ant bride has a dowry of uh, yes. of of one aphid cow. Yes. And um, I, I should point out that um, in the fungus farming ants, there's a very similar phenomenon. When a daughter queen is ready to fly away from her mother's nest at, to found her own colony, to mate and then found her own colony, dig a hole in the ground and start her, you know, lay eggs and grow up baby ants and start her garden, she carries, she takes a little bit of her mother's garden with her in a little, in a special pouch in her mouth. And when she uh, mates and starts that colony, she spits that out and takes care of that um, garden until her first little brood of baby ants, larvae, uh, grow up into adult worker ants, and then they take over that job. So, do these ants all grow the same fungus? Are they sharing a seed bank of some kind? That's a very interesting question. And, uh, in fact, the answer is no. Um, we don't know what the earliest fungus farming ant grew. Um, it It's very likely that it um, it maybe it could grow a few different kinds of fungi, and maybe if there weren't any fungi around, it could just go and hunt and eat some insect meat or do something like that, like a lot of ants do now. But at some point, we think very early on, it got locked into a particular kind of fungus. But all and we know we we kind of have a pretty good idea of what that fungus is because what we what we've been doing now is we've been collect collecting lots of 
fungus farming ant colonies, culturing the fungi, sequencing the DNA of the fungi, and also um, comparing it to a lot of uh, the DNA of a lot of free living fungi that are in that same kind of closely related group of fungi. And so we kind of have a pretty good idea what these ants were originally growing. But in a few cases now, we know that um, at least in one case, they a group of ants has jumped to a completely different fungus. It was very, very exciting and unexpected when we first discovered this. Um, it's a, uh, it's in the same order of fungi, the agaricales, but it's in a completely different family. We'd love to know how that happened. We think it happened around 20 million years ago. Um, none of those ants are able to grow the original fungi anymore. They're all growing those new fungi. And then from within the original group of fungi, there's been a few strange things that have evolved out of it. So there's one group of ants that just cultivates these fungi that grow. um, When they're growing with ants, they grow in a unicellular form that we call yeast gardens. They look very different from all the other ants' gardens. And then most... um, most notably, um, there's one group of these original fungi evolved into what we call the higher atine fungi. And all those original fungi seem to be able to live without ants. It seems like, you know, that if they're, if they're in an ant nest, they grow fine and they do well and everybody's happy, including the ants. But they can also kind of escape from the symbiosis live out in nature like a regular fungus growing in the leaf litter and making mushrooms, well, the higher atine fungi are no longer able to do that. They, they have become dom- what we call domesticated, just like some of our crops. They're no longer able to live without their farmers. They are totally dependent on their farmers to be propagated. Um, they've become polyploid, like many of our crops. Um, they've become uh, genetically genetic polyploids and they've changed in many other ways so um over the course of 55 million years um the 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 fungi that these ants grow have kind of changed and diversified and um and become in one case domesticated more information about the International Year of Plant Health, visit us at plantopiapodcast.org. Thanks for listening. Our show is produced by John Bryce. Thanks also to Mark Gleason, Jim Bradeen, Laura Isles, and Roshni Karate. I'm your host, David Godori, and you've been listening to Plantopia. Plantopia.